crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Volpe, the Chief Marketing Officer at HubSpot, and you're listening to The Growth Show. Thanks a ton for tuning in. This episode, I'm joined by Will Dean, who is the CEO and founder of Tough Mudder. So, Will, thanks a ton for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is this is exciting. I, I'm I'm so curious to learn more about this. But just for in case any of the two or three of the thousands of listeners we have that don't know what Tough Mudder is, why don't you tell us what is Tough Mudder? Sure, absolutely. Well, let's first of all start with what Tough Mudder is not. So, what Tough Mudder is not is a race. It's about teamwork and camaraderie. It's about working together to get over the obstacles. It's a 12-mile military-style obstacle course designed by British Special Forces, designed to test you uh, mentally and physically, and bring out that teamwork and camaraderie. So some of our obstacles include electroshock therapy, running through 10,000 volts, jumping over flames, running through mud, crawling under barbed wire, jumping in dumpsters full of ice. Sounds like a fun little Saturday. I mean, it is. It, yeah, it is I, I sort of choose, you know, am I going to go to Bed Bath & Beyond or Home Depot, or am I going to, you know, do Tough Mudder? I mean, that's incredible. How do you even convince, like, how do you even, con- it must be a lot of convincing to get people to want to get shocked, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, people sometimes say, well, why do people pay for this experience, right? <laughs> Getting shocked or jumping in dumpsters full of ice, right? And I think there's a couple of reasons why people do it. You know, the first one is you know, it gives you something that you can feel proud about yourself when you've done it. You know, I think Tough Mudder is in the self-esteem uh, delivery business. People feel great about themselves when they've done it. They've conquered a Tough Mudder. They can take on any challenge in the world. They can literally overcome the obstacles that life throws at them because they overcome the physical obstacles of a Tough Mudder. So I think that's a big part of the appeal. I think, secondly, it's a group activity. And so much of what's out there, marathons, triathlons, the way we live our day-to-day lives, it's it's one big race. And Tough Mudder gets you to work together and our, obstacles literally require you to form human chains to get over them and there's this great sense of i helped someone else i'm sure you've read somewhere or your listeners have read somewhere that if you're the kind of person that holds the door open for other people you're going to be a happier person well tough mother just kind of takes that to an extreme position and then thirdly you know, we're, we're tapping into the functional fitness boom crossfit p90x all that good stuff so tough mother is a great thing um, to train towards people get in shape for it i'm very proud that we built a business that's around people getting themselves in better shape and, uh, again, living healthier and happier lives. We've got a ton of folks at HubSpot here that are big uh, sort of Tough Mudder fans and devotees and have even traveled to different races in different places. So I know people are very passionate about it. But let's let's go back to the beginning. How did you come up with this as an, as an idea? Like where did this come from? What were you doing? Like where did this, you know, what, were the, what was sort of the seed of this idea? Yeah, so I am. Uh, I'm from the UK originally, but I came over to the states uh, and to uh, get my MBA. And while I was doing my MBA, I did a triathlon, and uh, uh, you know this was a completely amateur event. It wasn't like I was at the front of the field, and I came out of the swim part of the triathlon, which is the first part, and you go to the transition zone to get on your bike, and the zipper on my wetsuit jammed, and I couldn't get it off. So I turned to the guy next to me and I said basically, can you pull on this? And the guy said no. And and I was frankly pretty surprised by that. I thought there's something very wrong with this event that it brings out such individualistic, selfish behavior. And I 
said, I wonder if there's an event out there that's more focused on team camaraderie. And I looked at what was out there and I, I didn't think there was anything. And like a lot of uh, business ideas, it started with a focus group of one. I said, you know, I would do a Tough Mudder. I think my friends would do a Tough Mudder. And I think other people out there would do this. So when I was writing my uh, uh, business plan thesis at the time and I entered it in the business plan competition and all my professors up at Harvard said, well, this is a terrible idea. This won't work. No one's going to pay to get shocked or jump in dumpsters full of ice or leap over flames. And uh, I said, well, we shall see. And we had our first event in uh, 2010 and we were hoping for 500 people and 5,000 showed up for it. And I think at that point we realized we were onto something. That's crazy. I think one of the great tests of all business plans is if the professors believe it's a terrible idea, it's probably a good idea, right? Well, I think there's at least a 50-50 on that, right? I think <laughs> all, all, all good business ideas have been told by someone they were a terrible idea at some point along the way. That's right. I think there's a huge amount to being an entrepreneur of just sort of uh, pushing through it and, and believing in yourself and, and you know, sort of uh, not – you need to challenge conventional wisdom. How, so 5,000 – you were hoping to sell 500 tickets. You sold 5,000 tickets. How much did people pay for that first event? Yeah, so the first event average price was about uh, 70, 80 bucks. So wow. prices depend a little depending on when you sign up, but sure. roughly between 70 or 80. So 40 grand for this. Wow, that's incredible. No, we were pretty happy. It was, uh, you know, it was a better outcome than we, than we, could, we could have uh, hoped for. So, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was all pretty pleasing how it worked out. And, and I, I think you dropped to zero there, actually. So you know, we, we were, um, oh, you're we were right. pretty happy. We yeah, were pretty totally. happy with, uh, with how things turned out. Now, of course, these things cost a lot of money to put on. You, know, you have to build two, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 worth of obstacles. So you know, it's not like that's all profit. But from a revenue perspective, it, it was great. And it, the nice part about our business is we didn't have to go raise outside capital because people pay you in advance. Yeah, that's and so you've raised no capital. You bootstrapped this the entire way. Is that that's, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, um, we were very fortunate. We built a very simple website. You know, we spent a couple of thousand dollars on that. We had a total marketing budget of eight thousand dollars for the first event, um, and you know it went viral very quickly. So we were super lucky, and uh, you know now we have. Uh, 70 events around the world. We also have a sister um, brand called Mudarella, which is a women's event. And you know, we're doing events in the UK, uh, Australia, Canada, Germany, and now adding Mexico. So, you know, we've been very lucky. I think we worked hard and we got a few things right, but you know, we were definitely in the right place at the right time as well five years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. I, you know, I think one of the interesting things is that the crazier your business is, the crazier your ideas, sometimes the less you need to spend in marketing because if it's a hit, it's one of those things like, wow, this is so crazy. Do you believe this? And people are much more willing to talk about it and share about it. And you end up creating these really interesting sort of brand advocates. In fact, I was seeing, this is actually probably jumping ahead of what we we're thinking about talking about, but that there's apparently a few thousand people that have a, a Tough mutter tattoo and they, and, but you, and you actually have like, like a discount program for them. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so one of the things we're very proud of at Tough Mudder is that we uh, have actually had now over 5,000 people have the Tough Mudder logo tattooed on them. And I mean permanently tattooed on them. And we're building this tribe of people that are hyper-committed. They define themselves by their Tough Mudder uh, experience. And it's something unique, something they can talk about. And it represents a value set. It's about teamwork, camaraderie, not taking yourself too seriously, but also staying in shape and um, 
And you know, we have people that uh, buy season passes. They come to almost every single one of our events. They travel all around the world to see them in different places. And you know, it's a huge part of who they are. And people sometimes say, well, you know, what brands do you aspire to be like? And my first response is Harley Davidson. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Harley Davidson is not a motorcycle company. It's a experience uh, company. And it's uh, it's a club for, for those people that are in it, and that's what we aspire to be at uh, Tough Mudder. But I won't lie, it is a little scary when people recognize me on the subway as being the Tough Mudder guy. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that's... Although I guess if you're the Tough Mudder guy, they probably think you're pretty tough, so probably nobody messes with you on the subway. Well, I guess that's true. Normally they just want to get a selfie with me, so uh, it could be worse. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so let's talk about the growth. This is you know We're on the growth show. Uh, you know, So that first event... Sold 5,000 tickets, great. And you've talked a lot about where you are today because you're global and you have all these different events and you talked about the the Mutterella event you have, which is the women's event, all these things. Talk to us about the path between the 5,000 one-time event to where you are today. What was that early curve like? What do you think the couple of key things were that helped you get going? Yeah, so you know, I think one of the things that uh, helped us greatly, uh, I already touched on, is the fact that you know, we were able to sell tickets in advance. That helped us finance a lot of growth, allowed us to move quicker. We didn't have to keep pausing to catch our breath and you know, go through another fundraising round, which obviously takes a lot of time and energy. But I think you know, Tough Mudder has always been a mission-driven company. And you know, I think making money, being profitable, for me, that's a necessary, not a sufficient uh, condition for being a great organization. I think great companies, the kind of companies that really passionate people want to come and work at and devote themselves to, you know, they do more than you know, just uh, grow at 5% a year or try and you know, deliver return to their shareholders. It's about being part of something that you know, makes the world a better place. And at Tough Mudder, we think we do that for a number of reasons. We make people healthier, happier more confident, better connect with their friends. And so once the brand started taking off uh, in 2011, and I can talk a little bit about some of the numbers, we started getting deluged with resumes. In 2012, we had almost 100,000 resumes into the business in one year. And uh, that's a problem, but it's a high-class problem uh, to have. We attracted a lot of talent, um, not just here in the US, but from around the world. Um, And I think that was key. Uh, I think uh, we... From the outside looking in, it probably looks like it was all very smooth and you know, we grew like this rocket ship and everything was perfectly planned out, I can assure you. And on the inside, uh, we made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I think a really important thing when you're growing is to make sure you don't let your ego get in front of you and allow you, yourself to become arrogant because you make a lot of mistakes. And it's not the making mistakes that's the issue, it's the not learning from them that's the, uh, that's the problem. And I think one of the things that we've always been very clear on at Tough Mudder is that we have to have a very clear set of values that we live by. Very central to that is uh, making sure that we're learning from our mistakes and making sure we're hiring people that have got low egos. And Guy and I, when we founded the company, we always said, never hire anyone you wouldn't have dinner with. And uh, and I think it's a pretty simple maxim to live by, but it's an easy one to lose sight of when you you need to hire 20 people in two months. Um, But we went through all of that. Um, In terms of numbers, we had... 12 events in 2011. Uh, We had 35 events in 2012. And by 2013, we were up to over 50 events and we were doing business on three continents. That was the year that we rolled out uh, Mudderella, which is the women's event. We scaled that 
in 2014. Uh, we added in 2015, we're now adding Mexico as a new market. We also launched a new product, which is a middle distance product, five miles long, called the Urban Mudder. We've got our first Urban Mudder coming up in uh, the spring or in the summer here in uh, New York City. But assuming that goes well and sales are definitely off to a, a good start, and we're going to keep uh, expanding that, and we hope to have many more of those in 2016. So, you know, the CEO's job is to make sure the company's still growing because if you're not growing, you're dying. And uh, we're, we're, we, we believe that we've got a ton of uh, growth motors that will you know, keep the company moving forward for the next few years. So that's very interesting. There's a couple things I want to drill into there. It seems like part of the, the real key to your growth has been maintaining that humility and it feels like almost always looking into the mistakes that you made and, and trying to learn from those mistakes. How, and you touched a little bit on that that was a sort of a cultural thing that you've tried to embody within the whole company. And you talked about the interviewing side of it. Any tips for folks that um, want to establish more of a culture like that? Anything that you do with the employees or any ways that you sort of get them to understand about how to look at mistakes and uh, and things like that at all? Like talk to us about the internal culture. Like how do you, after you get those the right people in the door, how do you keep managing them over the time over time so they sort of maintain that humility and are constantly questioning what they're doing? Yeah, you know, I um I think it's a great question. And for me, the interview process is at best ten percent of the uh, overall assessment process. The reality is, you know, some people are great interviewers, and people are going to say the things that they think you want to hear um, in an interview. And you know, even if you can spend a lot of time with people through that process. Until that person's been with you three, sometimes six, even 12 months in an organization, you're never really going to know. And it's important that you, know, you and the other managers maintain that mentality as you bring people in. But for me, I think you know, creating a great organization is about doing four things well. First of all, you've got to make sure that your recruitment team is set up in a way that um, it really is attracting in the best talent and you're giving yourself a large pipeline of people to be able to look at and the discipline, even when you know you have to fill a role uh, quickly um, and it's painful to have that, that to have a gap in the organization that you're uh, doing all you can uh, to be disciplined and saying, I, w I will not accept a B player, I'll only put an A player in that role. So that's the recruitment part. I think it's really important to run in uh, well thought out and comprehensive induction programs where you really give people the necessary understanding of what the organization is about and what your values mean in practice. And there's no one right or wrong set of values, but being able to explain to people, normally through case studies, these are some of the things that we've done in the past, these are some of the mistakes we've made, and being honest with people about what your culture is about. And that, that has to start in the recruitment process through the interview and through into induction because a great, a great culture isn't going to be all things to all people. The U.S. Marine Corps is a great culture for the purpose of the organization. Some people love that. Other people wouldn't enjoy it one little bit. And that's okay. Your culture should stand for something. And you don't need to try to be the Marriott Hotel with your culture. You don't have to say it'll be an enjoyable stay for everyone. Um, in your company. And you should be okay with the fact that some people aren't going to work out. And that doesn't make you a bad person or a bad employer. In fact, it's probably a sign that you're a good employer because some people are going to love it, other people aren't. And then I think really important within that is that you create uh, feedback loops for people. So the training and assessment part of it, so that when people make mistakes, and we all do, myself included, 
you're explaining to people what they've done wrong and you're doing it in a way that frames it as a developmental opportunity and you've got to create you've got to really drill that into the culture and you also have to make sure with that that people understand it's all right to ask why in fact that's encouraged and really figure out what the root cause of a problem is and you know the word culture is a little misleading quite frankly i think in a lot of companies people think that's about having foosball tables or free beer in the fridge and that's nothing to do with what the culture is the culture just means how do people behave when you're not looking that's what a culture is because when the ceo is looking and other senior managers looking people are going to behave in one way because they know they're being assessed the question is how do they behave when they're out in the fields? And at Tough Mudder, you know, we literally send people into fields thousands of miles away from our offices. So I can't look out of the window and say, hey, why are you on Facebook? Shouldn't you be doing some work? You have to rely upon people to get it done and make good judgment calls. And that's about behavioral norms. And that only comes from making sure that you have a solid foundation. And when you add someone to it, that those norms are already in place and people understand what's expected of them. And when they make a mistake, you, you explain it to them. You don't criticize them. You don't, you're not negative about it, but you explain why that's not okay. So I think that's what it's about. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think especially that point about your company culture, the environment, the norms that you're setting, it doesn't need to be for everyone. I think that's a really, I think a lot of times people sort of want want to you know be able to hire any possible person and things like that. And, and I think that's something that we actually at HubSpot, um, in some ways, uh, sort of a little uh, sort of story here, we do a quarterly employee uh, net promoter score, and we basically ask employees, like, how likely would you be to refer one of your friends to come work at HubSpot? And the scores are usually quite high, but occasionally when you see in the comments, people say, well, like, I gave it a little lower score because most of my friends wouldn't be right for HubSpot. And I think that that's really interesting. And I think that as she says, like, hey, we, we have a great culture for some people. And for the right person, it's a fantastic place to be. Uh, but for the wrong person, it's not a great place to be, right? And I think and I think being open and honest with yourself about what, what kind of company you're trying to build and knowing who it's for. And in some ways, using the interview process and your recruiting process to make sure you're in some ways screening out people that may be great people but wouldn't be right for your culture is actually an important thing. I couldn't agree more. It's just key. And... All human beings want to be liked. Anyone that says they don't want to be liked is just lying. But when you're trying to build a culture, you have to think about what's appropriate for your organization. And you know, we're an organization where we put on live events and we're very, very proud of our safety record. The most dangerous part about doing a Tough Mudder is the drive to a Tough Mudder. Now, actually running the event is 10 times safer than running a marathon. But we've got to build a culture where people take a lot of responsibility and we can't cut any corners when it comes to that and other organizations it may be much more about creativity but when it comes to delivering events we have to have very very clear operating procedures people have to follow those and people have to be okay under sometimes some pretty stressful situations and that's our culture and some people are not going to fit in here and you know, when people leave it's unfortunate they didn't fit in but you can't beat yourself up too much about that all right. I totally agree. I want to shift to a little bit of a new topic, which is yep. uh, competition. So mm -hmm. I think since you guys have started, there's been some other companies that have basically seen your success, done some similar things. And, you know, there's some competition out there now. Yeah. Uh, as, a, as a CEO, should you think about competition? How, how should people think about that? Is it, what role does competition play in your sort of, you know, daily thoughts? And how much do you think about it? How do you interpret it? What's, what role does that play? So I, I think, uh, you know, I'd love to tell you there's one answer and there's like a one-size-fits-all policy that works for everyone. But the reality is I think it does depend a little bit upon your industry and I think it does depend a little bit about 
um, the culture that you're trying to build. And you know, someone once said to me, and I think it's broadly true, is that great companies don't compete against their competitors, they compete against themselves. So people, most people on any given weekend are not, not doing a Tough Mudder because they're doing another obstacle course. Right? They're not doing a Tough Mudder because they chose not to do a Tough Mudder. So the biggest thing that we're competing against is non-consumption. And so we've got to ask ourselves, well, why is it that if someone's not doing an event, um, how can we can convince them to think differently about that? So I think that's the first thing I'd say. And the best defense against competition and the best defense against non-consumption uh, non is to put on awesome experiences or have an awesome product. And I think the reason Tough Mudder has been able to maintain its pretty large, pretty large lead over the other would-be competitors in terms of market share and brand awareness. The reason we've been able to maintain that is because we have a truly innovative product. We invest a lot more um, time, energy, and resources into uh, our innovation process every year. And this year, we kicked off a completely new catalog of obstacles. Every single one of them changed for this year. The reason we can afford to do that is because we've got the most people. The reason we've got the most people is because we do that. So you know, that becomes, for us, a source of sustainable uh, advantage as an organization. I think you know, the, the, the second part to that is you know, you'd be a fool uh, as a CEO to not look out there and at least see what others are doing. And I think great companies, they don't just look at their immediate competitors. You know, for us, that might be other mud runs or other obstacle courses. They look at the wider universe and they say, okay, what, are, what other great things are going on out there? So you know, we sell most of our tickets through our website. So you know, I'm frankly not looking at what my competitors are doing. I'm looking at what Amazon um, is doing um, in that space because that's a company that leads the, leads the way when it comes to e-commerce. And the second you stop trying to take uh, ideas from the outside world into your organization, you can become a very blinkered and narrow-minded organization. So my answer is you have to look at what's going on there. You have to uh, approach your would-be competitors with caution. But ultimately, the best defense against your competitors to produce an awesome product. And the best way to ensure you do that is to make sure you remain open-minded and look, keep looking in non-obvious pools for new ideas. I think that makes so much sense. I feel like the best CEOs out there are constantly trying to innovate and drive the company and, you know, bring new things into the company, you know, and, and have this constant pace of innovation that's happening. And I feel like it, you know, you're, you had a little quote earlier, something about like, if you're not growing, you're dying or something like that. And I think that that's so true in this economy, in this day and age, if your company is not driving forward and introducing new products, even if you don't feel like you necessarily need to, new products, new services, innovating the way you deliver those things, you know, it's, it, things move so fast today that you will be left behind very quickly. So I think that's a, that's a great philosophy and, and probably a good point maybe for us to end on. But I do have one maybe slightly fun question I wanted to ask about was uh, I was reading somewhere, you have like an obstacle innovation lab somewhere like in the, you know, the, like the secluded area of Pennsylvania where no one can see. Like, tell us what, what's going on there, like what's happening. Yeah, so it's uh, it's an amazing place. It really is. I mean, it's somewhere between kind of Charlie's Chocolate Factory and with Willy Wonka in there and kind of crazy geniuses, and it's kind of half that and it's half Duck Dynasty, and you know, it's kind of somewhere in between the two. So, you know, that's where we um, have our team of Imagineers. Um, we've had we brought some people in from organisations like Disney, and their aim is to, you know, and their remit is to come up with stuff that's really wow. It's to come up with the next electroshock therapy or the next 
Arctic enema, stuff that's really buzzworthy, that's going to get people excited. And uh, I think there are big parallels between our industry and other forms of entertainment, like, for example, the amusement parks. My amusement parks, they have a big new ride every year. Well, at Tough Mudder, we keep trying to reinvent the wheel as well, and we keep adding these new uh, features to our event. But to do that, you have to stay creative. You have to let people think outside of the box. And it doesn't mean that all ideas that are on the uh, uh, on the table make it uh, uh, testing or out into the field on one of our courses. But it's a ton of fun, and it's one of the you know, most enjoyable parts of my job, getting to go up to this area of Pennsylvania, which the locals refer to as Pennsylvania, because apparently it's a little bit of a backwater. That meant nothing to me being an Englishman, but uh, I. Um, so we get to go up there, and uh, you know, particularly in the summer, when, you know, when we're doing a lot of our R and D work, it's it's a ton of fun. And you know, as being a CEO, I do spend quite a lot of my time in budget review meetings, but that's one of the parts of the job that's really really fun. That's awesome. So we're recording this in February, and we're here, and you know, I'm here in the studio in Boston. I would like to recommend a possible obstacle to your Imagineers, which is the snow bank climb. It's re- so snow because it, like it's sort of it, we have these we've gotten a ton of snow here in Boston, mm-hmm. and there's these giant snow banks, and they're really they're actually really hard to climb over because as you start to climb up, you kind of slide down a lot, and it's really hard to grip into them. Um, so I don't know. I think you should talk to the Imagineers about that. I, I uh, will. Which, yeah, I will. Totally. I fear that our participants in Arizona are going to be disappointed they don't get that obstacle. <laughs> but, but I feel but we'll, see well what we can do. It would be refreshing for them if you could figure out how to get a bunch of snow in Arizona. But that that would require technology. I don't know what we have yet. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks a ton. Uh, you know, Will Dean, CEO of Tough Mudder. This has been an awesome episode. Really fun. Great talking to you. Lots of great advice in there for folks. Um, and just to remind everyone, you have been listening uh, to The Growth Show. I'm Mike Volpe, the Chief Marketing Officer at HubSpot. Our producer is Dave Gerhardt. And you can learn more about the show at HubSpot.com slash podcast. Uh, and all the previous episodes are in iTunes. Just search for The Growth Show. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, we hope you listen to some more. And we hope you leave us a five-star review in iTunes. Thanks a ton and hope to catch you next time. Sorry, we're just doing a quick sound check here. Sure, sure, sure. Am I good to go? You want it really... Oh, you want him closer to his microphone. Uh, yeah, they're talking to me through the sign language. We okay. Have, we, or, no, that's fine. So I'm leaning in a little now. Is that okay? Is it, Oh, yeah. The huge thumbs up. They love that. Okay, great. That's good all stuff. Right. Cool. I'll, I'll stay leaning in then. There that's you go. Lean, lean in. Cheryl okay. Sandberg all the way. Just do it. <laughs> You uh, you stole my uh, you stole my phrase. Okay. No, good to go. Just good a to l- go. little faster with the joke, which I, which I, I'm, I'm, usually, I'm usually not. But-